0: You know, having a business entity at the forefront does a lot of things for you.
1: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, guys, and welcome to another edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's guide to U.S. real estate. In Los Angeles, I'm Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. As you already know, on this show, we interview industry leaders and real estate entrepreneurs who are absolutely killing it when it comes to U.S. real estate. And the reason why is because I wanted to start a podcast that provided straightforward information, the sort of nuts and bolts, so to speak, of how an international investor can start successfully investing in the U.S., I saw a massive need to provide quality content as there is a lot of misinformation out there and I saw I needed to just cut through all the weeds and get straight to understanding how to grow your long-term wealth through purchasing U.S. real estate. I want to thank all the listeners out there for tuning in each week. It means a lot to me as we're slowly building a great community of listeners who want to start successfully investing in the U.S. So let's get into today's show. On today's show, we are chatting with Michael Callan to understand what is entity structuring and the associated pros and cons when owning U.S. real estate investment. G'day, Michael. Welcome to the show. G'day, Reid. Thank you for having me on. Michael has been licensed to practice law in California since 2005. He has practiced law at large firms, boutique firms, and is now starting to venture out on his own and start his own shop. Michael has successfully helped numerous businesses form their business entity and manage their legal affairs. Over the last four years, Michael has been focused on real estate transactions and litigation. But Michael, before we dive into all the juicy stuff of understanding entity structuring here in the United States, can you tell us uh, something that most people might not know about you unrelated to being a
0: successful lawyer? Something fun, a hobby I have is I produce house and techno music and I DJ. It's something I've been doing for about 13, 14 years now, um, DJing and been uh, producing music about uh, probably like seven or eight years. So <laughs> that's some, awesome. Yeah, have some releases floating around out there and some more to come. And that's uh, a good way to to release sometimes after uh, doing a lot of legal work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's
1: incredible. So I'm going to put in the show notes, but I'd love to get a link of, uh, of your stuff
0: if it's online. Oh yeah, absolutely. At SoundCloud. And uh I go by J Smile, J A C E M I L E. And I have a bunch of uh mixes and original productions in my SoundCloud.
1: Fantastic. I'm gonna have to give it a lesson and uh maybe you, you, you need to compose me a new a new backing track for, for this show.
0: <laughs> sure. I got I've got got stuff to sample. <laughs> yeah,
1: great, great. And uh guys, while you're on SoundCloud you can check out my show as well. <laughs> So, Michael, with that being said, can you give us a more in-depth look at your background and what made you go down the road of getting into uh, real estate litigation and entity structuring here in the United States?
0: I grew up in the South Bay area of Los Angeles, and I went to UCLA, and then I went to Loyola Law School in downtown Los Angeles. I've always been very interested in basically the built environment and urban environments and planning. And, um, you know, right now is a very exciting time to be in Los Angeles for real estate because the city is undergoing major transformations. Mm-hmm. Some would call it gentrification. And, you know, I, when I went to law school, one of the first classes you have to take to requirement, pretty much every law school, you have to take property class. And I did extremely well in my real property class. One of my best grades all throughout law school. It just made a lot of sense to me. I found it interesting, and when I started to practice, I worked at a boutique law firm in downtown Long Beach. And some of the things we did was manage clients who had LLCs and corporations that were held by other LLCs and corporations, and had all these layers. And they were investors in a lot of property and they held property and. That was also the beginning of the subprime mortgage um, meltdown Yep. Uh, back in like about 2006. So I got firsthand experience of a lot of that stuff at the beginning of my legal career. I then went on to do more business litigation and, and contract type stuff. And then I came back to cool. doing real estate when the economy crashed in 2009. I kind of went out on my own and I wound up having a bunch of real estate uh, clients and especially landlord tenant issues. And it just kind of went from there and I, I just got back into my interest in real estate and, um, being able to understand that pretty well naturally. naturally it's a great way to make money. You know, I think, I think investing in real property is probably one of your safest investments you can make. Yep. And um,
1: I agree with you a hundred percent on that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Much safer than playing the stock market. (laughs) (laughs) I love, uh, I send out a
1: a few emails every now and then when the stocks aren't doing as well and said, hey, have you ever thought about real estate investing? (laughs) It always works a charm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So guys, the reason I got Michael on the show was that I get a lot of questions from my international investors about entity structuring here in the United States. What is it? Why do I need it? And what are the pros and cons? And I know Michael's, Michael is the right guy to walk us through all the ins and outs of entity, structure for, entity structuring from a legality point of view. So Michael, as always on this show, I like to get my guests to start right at the beginning so people who are listening to this show can just understand the processes involved with anything that I talk about on the show. So can we get you to talk about entity structuring and why an investor would need it to buy U.S. real estate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Entity structuring is, in simple terms, it's basically taking um, the individual uh, sole proprietor, if you will, out of basically removing them a step from whatever the business is. In this case, investment in real estate, whether you're just holding the real estate for later sale and renting it out, whether it's a commercial unit with tenants that you have to manage, whether it's um, you're in the business of flipping, even if you're investing, you know, a small percentage investor in a large development or apartment complex or something like that, you know, having a business entity at the forefront does a lot of things for you. I mean, the base, the two major things are, and I think the, the primary thing is shielding your personal house to assets from any par- possible liability that could arise from uh, whatever the businesses you're engaged in, in this sense, uh, real estate. Right. And then there are also tax benefits. And one thing that's happening in the US right now is there are a lot of foreign investors who are buying up real estate. It's a big deal in uh, Manhattan and New York, for instance, and they are hiding behind these layers of uh, a lot of times limited liability companies, LLCs. And I believe the U.S. government is starting to crack down a little bit on this and uh, going to start requiring some people to disclose their true identity so as to not be able to hide anymore under these uh, entities. And it's not going to affect any of the legal aspects such as you know the liability aspects, which from a legal perspective is one of the main reasons for forming your business entity, but I think it's uh, just trying to create more um, transparency with who is buying and holding and owning real estate in the US. Right. Anyway, you know, right. I kind of kinda of went on a tangent there. But the basic entity structures are um, you got your corporations which are divided into C corps S-Corps and then your professional corporations, um, you have in the United States, especially for foreign um, investors, the limited liability company uh, might be something that you are not used to. I don't know if it really exists in many other countries. I think it's an American construct. Yes, And Yeah. So, I mean, that and, and, you know, and I'll get way more into depth about what a limited liability company is, but a limited liability company is, I would say, one of the most preferable ways for people to uh, deal with real estate as it provides the same protections liability wise as a corporation would, but it gives you a tremendous amount of flexibility in how you run your business or in how you manage your real estate and manage the affairs of your LLC. It doesn't have all the formalities that a corporation is required to follow such as having your board of directors and having your minutes and meetings and keeping records of all these things none of that is required in an llc which makes it very very preferable i think to people who don't really want to have to be that involved in these formalities and then uh you know one another entity which probably i'm sure all the foreign um investors as minutes are aware of is just Basically, partnerships—you um, mm-hmm. know, you have general partnerships, limited partnerships, and limited liability partnerships—in the United States—and those are not as great as far as their liability aspects are concerned, because typically, especially in a general partnership, uh, each partner is joint and severally liable for all the any debts or uh, you know legal liabilities that may arise due to actions of the partnership. Right. And what that means is that each partner is liable for the entire judgment or debt or whatever it might be, um, regardless of which partner was at fault to do will, for, for making the debt arise. A uh, limited partnership has a little bit better uh, protection from liability for the limited partners only. A limited partnership uh, requires one at least one general partner that pretty much runs the business and does all the day-to-day decisions. and. And that individual will typically be the first hit when it comes to liability, uh, whereas the limited partners in the limited partnership will only be subject to liability up to the percentage of the amount of ownership they have in the partnership. And then a limited liability partnership is one in which each partner is only liable for any debts or judgment that arises due to that partner's misconduct. So all the other ones would be shielded from that partner's misconduct. It would also be responsible for any um, contracts or obligations that arise in the normal course of the partnership's business. So, right. yeah, and, and those, those are the three main types of business entities in the United States. Otherwise, you know, you have um, just people doing business as their own sole proprietorship or business as or a fictitious business name but those aren't really entities. So right.
1: Right. I just wanted to recap a little bit on just what you 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 broke down just then it was very went into some some great detail and fantastic information and and just to re- summarize it sort of you said there was S corps or the corporations or so S corps and C corps and I know a little bit about them but I I don't use them in my day to day but I do know that the LLC or limited liability company is the sort of more as you said hand not not hands off but requires less maintenance in terms of writing minutes and having a board of directors and, and, and a whole other slew of requirements from the government. And it's just more of a simplified version of a, of a corporation. Have I got that correct?
0: Yeah, that's definitely a good way to put it. It's, it's definitely, I would say, a simplified version of a corporation for sure. Right. But um, still
1: providing the legal liability protection of a corporation or, or a business, you know, because that LLC essentially owns the piece of property, and then the person, and we'll get into it more later, me as the investor or the individual international investor owns uh, is a member of that LLC, and that sort of provides a veil or protection if you want. Either they've got to come after the LLC, then they come after you sort of thing, right?
0: That's correct, yeah. And provided you have your LLC structured properly and you're following the legal formalities that are required of it, You know, you should be shielded from any personal liability. You know, this this is a concept uh, known to foreign investors, but, you know, there's a legal concept called piercing the corporate veil. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are situations where people have an LLC or a corporation and it's kind of just a shell. It's not really following the formalities that it's supposed to be following and if right. it, it doesn't have a whole bunch of elements basically. And if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing with your business entity, then you can subject yourself to personal liability because totally. the core will find it to be a shell. But yeah, limited liability companies are, are great. They're usually for real estate investors that I deal with. They're typically the first go-to entity form. And for me, I usually... Recommend my clients try that. Just depending on what you know, what they're what they're interested in. But I did read recently that for an investor, one of the things that will help them decide what entity they want to form is what the tax system is like in their home country. Yes. You know, I just uh, saw this because I know you're Australian. <laughs> read, but I just read this that Australians actually like to use LLCs. Because it makes sense with their, what is it, a superannuation fund for their retirement monies?
1: That's it. Yep, superannuation. Yep, that's, a, that's It's essentially yeah. the same as a 401k here or, okay. or a self directed IRA. So, yeah, very much so. LLCs for Australians are common, but I do know I have, and I'm, another gentleman's coming on the show from, from, from England, that LLCs aren't as, not the most go to entity structuring when owning US real estate. So we'll get into that in a in a later uh, episode. But I just wanted to sort of recap for all those uh, listeners out there the LLC. When you're owning an investment property, you know usually you're either renting it out to to a tenant. If they sort of trip or fall and they hurt themselves uh, on your property, there is you you open yourself to litigation uh, or, or liability. So instead of having your name on the deed, uh, whether it be Reed Goosen's or, or Michael Callan, it's uh, a, an entity and, and and that just provides another layer of protection before you know you get personal. Uh, uh, liability comes upon yourself. So it just helps from the liability aspect. And that's why we've got Michael on the show to talk a little bit about that. So Michael, Michael, we talked a, you talked a little bit, of, just briefly touched on the documentation uh, and how you said sometimes they're not entities aren't set up correctly. So do you want to walk us through just some of what is required from a doc, plain and simple documentation for an LLC and how does that differ from state to state uh, when you're buying different uh, US real estate?
0: sure um an l l c documentation wise uh in California, and I can't speak exactly for other states but i'm i think the process is very similar but in california you your l l c starts when you file what is called a articles of incorporation with the California Secretary of state mm-hmm. and it's a it's a really basic form to fill out it's it's one page long um there are some things that you need to put on there that uh, are required for instance you need to write whatever the name of your llc is going to be comma limited liability company on the form that's right. one thing for for llcs when you're dealing with formal any type of government forms that you need to submit you have to write llc on it um you don't necessarily have to do that when you're you know if you have a brand or you know on your business card or anything like that it's not necessary right. but okay. and then not after 90 days after you filed your articles of incorporation and you could do it you could do it second day after but you have 90 days that you have to file what's called a uh statement of information and llc's are uh the the individuals who own llc's are called members yep and um An LLC, which can be similar to a corporation, you can have it be uh, managed, you could have it be member managed, or you could have the members kind of be just not necessarily too involved in the business and have an actual manager that they hire who would actually run the uh, day to day business affairs of the LLC. Mm -hmm. LLCs are, are, are unique in that you can have one member too. You can have a single member LLC, which is different than a lot of the other business entity forms where you typically need to have more than one member. So LLCs are just extremely flexible. I mean, after you file your articles of information and you have everybody who needs to be registered with the state, for instance, you have to have an individual to accept service of process. So that's somebody you have to mark and it'll typically be uh, you know, if you if you have property in California, an LLC property, it would have to be somebody within the state of California that would be able to accept any type of uh, legal documents on behalf of the LLC.
1: Right. And that's called a registered agent, correct?
0: That's correct. Yeah. yeah uh, registered, registered agent for service of process. Yeah. Right
1: does it have to be a, a specific professional service or could it be someone, a friend or a family of, of the per, the international investor? It, it, it's just an address the state can send legal forms to.
0: It's just an address. It doesn't have to be a licensed individual or professional. It could be, uh, you know, it could be your cousin that lives in somewhere in California. Right. It could be an individual to it. Got it. Yeah, and there's also this thing called Corporation Services something. It's three <laughs> letters. But anyway, it's... it's uh, it's this company that is all over the country and they will accept service on behalf of companies. You can register with them and they'll have an office somewhere, typically multiple offices throughout like a state like California and throughout the state, like one in Los Angeles, one in San Francisco, San Diego, major uh, cities, economic hubs. And you can actually register with these people and they will be the agent for service or process. You don't need um, a specific individual necessarily. Sure. You have, statement of information filed um typically an llc will have an operating agreement yep and that will dictate the day-to-day operations as well as basically the long-term purpose and function of the llc and um you can be as elaborate or minimal with your operating agreement as you want really it's it's this is what's great about llc's is they're really really flexible there's no Real legal requirements of things that your operating agreement has to say. You can structure your LLC even as a uh, corporation if you want. I I have had a client that had multiple LLCs with multiple expensive property in throughout Los Angeles, Beverly Hills, Bel Air, and they would actually because they were so they liked having an LLC, but they were so concerned about everything being structured, that they wanted to even go beyond the requirements of LLC and they would keep minutes and have right. uh, meetings and all this stuff, which it's really not necessary, but they just were, you know, very uh, concerned. Got it.
1: Now, just to recap, I just wanted to... To walk through again, so you said that you need the articles of op, uh, of organization, which is you know some forms that need to be signed and filled out by. I, I take it yourself because you're you're the lawyer and you would be you'll be pulling those forms together. And you need an operating agreement and you need a registered agent. There's sort of the three key things, right? Is there anything else that I need to be adding to that list?
0: For an LLC, no, not really. Those are the things you need primarily, and you know there's there's these. These kits you can buy from companies that, that make these kits. Basically, it would be a binder, and you can have all your uh, everything for your company in there your LLC. You can have your articles of organization or a statement of information, then your operating agreement. And you can have there's typically a ledger that will have the amount of shares, and then you'll have actual certificates because uh, an LLC, just like a corporation. You know, the members own a certain amount of shares in the LLC. So it's kind of similar in that way. And you can actually have a certificate that is signed and it's put in this ledger and and kept in this big binder. So everything, everything is in this binder. So it's all, uh, they're pretty thick sometimes, but it's all in one place. So typically now everything is scanned too. So you got another copy in multiple places, you know hard drives in here and there. And then once you have those things done, you're up and running as an LLC. One thing with an LLC in California is there, no matter if it makes money or not, there is a $800 fee, it's kind of like tax to the state that you have to pay every year in operation as an LLC. You know, that for some small businesses that seems like a hurdle in their first year. But, you know, I think for anybody investing in real estate, bucks is not a lot of money. Compared to the uh, the ease of mind that that they might have for having from having a business entity such as an LLC holding their property, um, and then another requirement with an LLC is every every other year um, you have to file another statement of information with the state, and that's simple. You'll usually get a notice from the state when it's coming time, but you would also have it calendar somewhere. Like if you have an attorney or accountant managing it. They probably have it in their calendaring system, so it's something you really wouldn't have to worry about. And that's basically just uh, the state kind of checking in with the LLC to see if any of its members have changed, if they have a new agent for service process. And that's really the only requirements so of an LLC. So it's really a malleable and easy-to-maintain business entity. Right. And that's, what, that's probably why it's right. so popular, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, yep. Absolutely yeah.
1: Yep. And I just want to be, make it clear to all everyone listening out there, you only need to file an LLC in California, one, if you live here, or two, if the property is based in California. If, if it's based in Texas, you don't have to file uh, an LLC in the state of California. It's typically in the states. It's state by state, so wherever the property is located, I like to tell my, my international investors to form an LLC within that state. And and they, I've got a few LLCs across the country, and, and what Michael has gone into is pretty common you know, from New York to Philadelphia to Texas to California. You've got to file with the state, the articles, organizations. You've got to have a good operating agreement. Uh, there's a fee that typically is paid and that fee can vary from state to state. And there's popularities with different states. You know, people talk about Delaware LLCs and there's a low filing fee. But I know in, in New York, for example, New York State, you have to also do an advertising, you know, proponent of it, which means that you've got to advertise in a magazine or, or, or newspaper for six weeks and then prove that to the state that you have saying that it's just a basic paragraph saying that you are going to do business in this state. And it's it's pretty straightforward. But there's different ways and people to tend to to either like that or don't like that, whatever it is, it just means that you need to get a good lawyer like Michael to help you go through the processes. And if, if Michael can direct you to other good lawyers across the United States and different states, wherever that property might be located, is that correct?
0: That's correct. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You would definitely form your LLC in the uh, state where the property is located. And if you had an LLC, let's say, in New York, and then you bought property in California and you wanted to have, you can actually have that same LLC be the owner of the property in California and they can register with the Secretary of State and it gives them, um, it's called what we call the foreign LLC, that gives them the ability to operate as an LLC within uh, the state of California. I'm pretty sure all the states permit that. So you could have an LLC in one state and then register it to do business in another state and it would be considered a foreign LLC there, but it would be uh, it would have the same protection that the LLC in, in wherever state it was originated from would have.
1: And in terms of a, a, a property ownership, I like to set it up, and this is from personal preference, that each property I have, I will set up an LLC, a separate LLC. But there's some people out there who like to hold Numerous properties within it within one LLC because it's just the the rigmarole of going and applying for another LLC and blah 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 in that particular state. It just it, it, it's a hassle and a pain in the butt. <laughs> Excuse my language, but Michael, what do you, what do you recommend? Is it is a one L, one property per LLC or is there a certain? What do you see with your clients and what do they like to do? How many properties do they do like they typically hold in an LLC before starting a new one?
0: Depending on the sizes of the property and their involvement, I think always the safest from a liability standpoint is to have one LLC per property because if you have one LLC holding many properties and let's say you have a tenant uh, that injures himself due to something at one of your buildings that wasn't maintained properly, uh, you can subject all the properties held by that LLC will be subject to any judgment that might arise from that or any debt that might arise from that. So whereas if you had the, you know, sometimes with property, I, I see a lot of LLCs are just named the address of the property actually. So you could have 900 Wilshire LLC and then it also is holding and then you have another LLC that is like, you know, 800 Beverly Drive or something. And those LLCs, even though they're owned by the same members, they would not, one would be not be subject to the debts of the other. So ultimately, it's a personal preference for the client, for the investor. But I think, you know, if you don't mind having multiple LCs and, and just making sure that each one is maintained properly, then I think it's always best to keep, keep your properties per LLC, just so you don't subject them to any debts from another property.
1: Fantastic. And Michael, I do know, or I ha- I, the question arises that a lot of international investors come to the United States and they set up what's called a holding company or a holding LLC, what, in whatever state that might be. And that's their sort of foundation LLC. And then they will go to individual states across the country and start a secondary LLC for that whatever particular property that is. And the first holding company, can that be a member of the secondary LLC? And does that provide another layer how, did, how does that work when you talk to layering and structuring and that sort of stuff?
0: Yeah, absolutely. An LLC can be a member of another LLC, and as that if it is that way, it does provide an an extra layer of protection. For instance, let's say you have you know some some people like to have their holding LLC in Nevada or mm-hmm. Wyoming, mm-hmm. Um, particularly as they they provide for. Uh, Low low uh, yearly fees. Uh, Wyoming, I think, is 50 bucks a year compared to California, where <laughs> it's 800 uh which is a big deal. You know, I mean, $750. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. then they also have different protections for assets, which are a little bit stronger. So, you know, a lot of people will have a LLC, let's say, in Nevada, and then that LLC will be a member and sometimes the only member of an LLC in California that holds, uh, you know, let's say a mansion or Beverly Hills or something. And uh, it's uh, very common for people to do that for sure. And, you know, I, I, I touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but, you know, provided that you are maintaining your LLC properly, a big thing is that the LLC itself has enough uh, cash reserves to cover its own debts and do its, and take care of its own business affairs, mm-hmm. then most likely you will be shielded from personal liability if something was to occur on one of your properties held in that LLC.
1: And are you talking about stuff like insurance, property insurance and stuff like that? If So if, if I purchase a single family residence in California, I'll go and get property insurance and that... And my LLC owns the property, and the LLC will apply for the property insurance. Is that what you mean by having enough protection there and, and reserves?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That would that would definitely be definitely be a thing because you'd be having your insurance that would cover. You know, if you had liability insurance on your property, then and the LLC was paying paying the premiums is in the LLC's name. That would definitely suffice because you'd be. I think a good way to look at it is: Are you taking that LLC and the property it owns? Are you taking it seriously as if it was actually you doing it or are you just kind of, it's called a shell when it, when it doesn't work and it's just kind of this false structure in a way that's set up to to look like it, it is an LLC, but really everything comes from you. You share money with it. Uh, that's another thing. Uh, you want to have bank accounts differently. If they're the same with bank, bank account as your individual bank account, then that's going to be, a sign if it goes in front of a court, a judge, that it's not really uh, its own entity. It's actually really just you.
1: That's an interesting topic because, and we'll just briefly touch on that. So what you're saying is, and, and I like to do this as well, is that every state I, I form an LLC or have a, a couple of properties at, I will go and open a bank account for that LLC with the local bank. And it also helps with, uh, with come tax time because typically you could then feed that bank account with money from your personal stuff and pay whatever you need to pay. It might be maintenance. It might be you know getting what well, we just said, insurance money, the premium. So it's a way to keep, as you're saying, it separate from yourself. But can you feed money into? How does it work when you feed money into an LLC to get it started or to maintain the LLC? And it, it, that comes from your personal account.
0: Right. That would be uh, typically would be a capital capital investment into the LLC and. It's okay if money is coming from your personal account going into the LLC, especially at the beginning. And a lot of times that'll be reflected in an operating agreement. A lot of times it will be, there'll be um, a certain paragraph or section of your operating agreement that will talk about the uh, members' initial capital investments. And that will typically determine their percentage ownership at the onset of the company. And um, a lot of times I structure them I and I, I think it's pretty common is you'll have a, a, like a schedule A or schedule B that's sort of an attachment to the operating agreement and it can be a running list uh, depending on any members you have of their capital investments into the company. And then, you know, if you need to, the LLC is, you know, you need to do a big, I don't know, overhaul of your property or something, a construction. Like a rehab. And the LLC needs, yeah, rehab. Uh, uh, the LLC needs more money to cover it than what's in its its cash reserves you can certainly as a members put money into that to get that going absolutely right. it's just the, the the problem comes when say you have in your operating agreement that you pay yourself a certain salary from your llc if you're not really paying that yourself that salary and you're just kind of digging into these making up your personal needs whenever you see fit that's going to be a red flag that it's not really a separate entity and you're not really taking the entity seriously because you're just kind of Disregarding the operating agreement, taking funds out want to see fit—you're um, not really treating it treating it seriously, I guess, so to speak.
1: Right. And what's a way to get around that? Because say, if rental income—you know, a lot of a lot of my clients have rental properties here in the United States, and they have rental income going into that bank account which the LLC owns, and then it. How do you set up your operating agreement to say that oh, well, once a month, whatever's the surplus or the cash flow because that's what people want is cash flow, it will be distributed to the personal account or, or as you're just saying, coming in dipping in whenever you want So how do you is that just a wording in the operating agreement or how, how does that go back to make sure that you're doing the right thing?
0: Yeah, it is It's really just wording in an operating agreement. you know if you have if it's something like rents and you you have a set figure you know you know you're going to get every month for rents. Um, obviously that will change when tenants come and go because you raise the rent, but you can set it up. So it's a percentage of the amount of money coming in every month. You could set it up so you're paid twice a year. You could set it up so you're paid once a year. Uh, It's really up to you and how you want to structure your operating agreement and your LLC as far as payments are concerned. Um, It could be a set dollar amount or percentage. It's it's really, again, however you want to do it. And, um then that would obviously be reflected in real life in transactions coming out of your bank account and your own income statements at the end of the year when you got to file taxes. Fantastic. Well that's, that's that's
1: great advice because I know a lot of people do just dip into their their accounts and take the the cash flow as needed so it's when you're setting that up making sure that you have set out in a schedule like take it or something of that nature that it's once every two months or once whatever it might be talk to your lawyer or talk to Michael because he is he's a lawyer if you want to know a little bit more about how that flow back particularly when you have positive cash flow from the property as i said everyone loves positive cash flow that's why they buy us real estate it is happening you know correctly and you're doing the right thing from a, from a legality point of view so michael another big misconception is the ownership and operation question of of an LLC, you know, a lot of international investors ask me, Reed, legally, can I own an LLC and can I operate it as it as a single member as an international investor, and not being a U.S. resident?" And, and you know, you're the you're the expert, so can you elaborate a little bit more on that issue? Can an international investor legally own and operate an LLC from abroad?
0: Uh, yes, you can definitely. Any of these type of entities that I've discussed can be owned by a foreign national. Uh, the only type of entity that cannot is an S Corp. S Corps okay. cannot be, a foreigner cannot own shares in S Corp. So that's not allowed. Uh, but any of the other ones are an LLC. You could be a single member of LLC. And, you know, especially uh, Reed, you probably see this in Los Angeles, particularly, there's a lot of Chinese foreign investors. Coming in right now and buying a property and holding it, and a lot of times uh, they will they will be held in an LLC. I went to a networking event recently and met a Chinese realtor who specializes in Chinese foreign investments in the U.S. and fantastic. Um, it's definitely in Los Angeles, a big deal right now, especially with um, you know for anybody out there listening. Uh, downtown Los Angeles is. Booming lately, and there's just tons of towers going up, uh, luxury towers. And you know, I'm not really, uh, I don't really like some of what's going on because I I think a lot of these buildings are being bought up by some foreign investors, and they're just kind of sitting there empty is a way for them to hide money in the U.S. And I don't know, I think it's kind of kind of wasteful in a sense. But definitely, definitely, a foreigner can can be a member of LLC in the United States and can be a single member even. Fantastic. Well, Absolutely.
1: well, Michael, you've actually given some great advice, and with all your experience in entity structuring here in the US, I know you're primed to give me your top five investing tips. What's the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
0: I would say having having plans and having basically following steps that are, are feasible to get to where I'm going. I think it's like. Uh, good to set, you know, long-term big goals, but then it's also important to have smaller ones that are attainable in the near future so that you kind of feel like you're always going somewhere, progressing.
1: What's the most influential
0: tool you use in your real estate business and why? I would say for my for being a lawyer, it's probably my brain. (laughs) and uh you know i I use a lot of technology, obviously, I have my laptop, I have my desktop, I have my phone um, and uh legal software, you know the two big elite big legal software in the uh in the u s anyway is Lexis, Nexus, and westlaw and those are, are crucial tool, tools for a practicing lawyer because they just provide easy ways to do all your research for cases. There's a lot of primers or what's called secondary sources, uh, which will be, you know, usually some kind of legal scholar that's revered will put together an easy to follow uh, um, guide on various areas of law. And those are, they're expensive to get, but they are they make practicing much more efficient and easier than just starting from scratch and with Google and trying to, you know, find some uh legal principle that's, you know, not not well known. Right. Good stuff. Good stuff.
1: What's the most exciting project you're working on right now?
0: Some of the more exciting projects are basically I'm going out on my own right now, as you mentioned, and my fiance is a an amazing realtor. Uh, her name is Jane Latre. She's fantastic. And we are starting our own business basically where we want to be a one-stop shop for real estate. And so you can come to us and you can do all your transactional needs um, via Jane as a realtor. And I will be coming from behind and taking care of all the legal things. And for instance, we have some clients right now that have, um, we have one client we're working with that has two single family, well, actually one single family residence in a duplex in a very hot market uh, called Echo Park in Los Angeles. And then another commercial building that's in an, uh, an area called Atwater. And these are, you know, happening areas in LA. And it's great because Jane is selling one of his properties Going to lease out another one, the commercial building, and we're having uh, contractors come out to, you know, work with the people and develop it and build it out for the company that's going to be moving in there. And then, you know, I'm also doing, and, and I'm not, I don't, I don't come from a trust background, so I'm, I'm right. familiarizing myself and studying and learning, and uh, going to be setting up uh, trust for this guy and basically managing the various real estate um, that he owns, and that's. That's definitely just building this business. I just applied for my my broker's um, be able to take my broker's exam. It takes takes forever for uh, the bureau of real estate to get back to you. Uh, just waiting to hear on that, and then take my broker's exam, and kind of we'll have our own one stop shop for real estate. That's Fantastic, the, uh, that's the goal.
1: Fantastic, yeah. that sounds like a very very exciting uh, venture. I, I look, I know Jane a little bit from you both. I both met you at my real estate networking event in downtown LA. So. You know, congratulations, I guess, and uh, look forward to seeing more stuff coming from you guys, the uh, the power couple, as I'd like to say.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thanks, Reed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and last question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can be reached at – my email is michaelcallon at gmail, and uh, that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-A-L-L-O-N at gmail.com. Um You can – find me on LinkedIn uh, it's just Michael Callen. I'm an attorney in Los Angeles and you can reach me on my cell phone as well which is my primary for my business I'm starting number thus far as we haven't set up a virtual office yet but that number is three one zero nine six eight zero six four nine and feel free anybody who's listening to shoot me an email give me a call uh, if you have uh, any questions you want to dive further in any, any of this stuff and uh, particularly if you have any legal uh, or other real estate matters that you need help with.
1: Fantastic. Well, Michael, I'll put all those in the show notes below uh, so anyone can reach out to you if they do have any legal questions. Well, Michael, you provided some great in-depth knowledge of entity structuring here in the United States. It's definitely a hot topic for international investors when they purchase U.S. real estate. One of the first steps is getting that entity sorted out. And I know that you, you you covered some great stuff from understanding what an LLC is to looking at the flexibility and, and, and really just summarizing that it's, you know, sort of a bit more of a, easier way to structure, to have liability protection versus, say, an S-Corp or a C-Corp, which requires a lot more involvement. So fantastic stuff. We also walked through the different steps you need to do when you form an LLC, and that is the articles of organization, the operating agreement, and having a registered agent. And I know, Michael, I, I can speak for you when I say to all the listeners out there that Michael can help you with every single step of the way to get that LLC off the ground, uh, making sure that you paid all the right fees and that you can go out and start buying real estate. So thanks, mate, for dropping by and chatting with us. Have a great rest of your week and we'll catch up soon.
0: Thanks so much, Reid.
1: Well, there you have it, more incredible, straightforward insight information into understanding entity structuring here in the United States. If you are an investor about to purchase an investment property here in the US, and you want to know more about which entity is right for you, then shoot Michael and his team an email. I'm sure they're only too willing to help you get started. Now, make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Michael. And as I mentioned, all the links, contact information will go up on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. Just remember to click on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge as that's what we're all about here on the show. Now, remember, if you do like this show, the best way to give back is by jumping on iTunes and subscribing and giving the show a five-star review. It's quick, easy, and helps us grow the show's reach across the globe and helps investors successfully invest in the U.S. So until next week, take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.